Welcome to Blue Dot, a look at our place in space. I'm Dave Schloem. California has some of the most diverse and complex weather found on the planet. From the sunny Mediterranean climate of the central and southern coastal regions to the high alpine extremes of the Sierra Cascades, plus the high and low deserts and the rainy northwestern part of the state, it's in a word, complicated and interesting. In a new book, Fire and Ice, California's Changing Weather and Climate, scientists and authors Stephen Ladochi and Michael Witu have compiled a comprehensive yet accessible look at the many fascinating aspects of California weather that can swing from drought-induced megafires to blizzards and floods in mere months. We'll talk to Stephen and Michael in a bit, but first, we're joined by a longtime friend of the show, retired NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory oceanographer and climate scientist Bill Patzert. Bill wrote the foreword to the book and joins us now from his home in Southern California. Bill Patzert, a.k.a. The Kahuna, welcome back to Blue Dot. Hey, big wave Dave. Always a pleasure to be on Blue Dot. Well, we're here uh, to talk about a very cool new book called Fire and Rain. Uh, California's Changing Weather and Climate, uh, by Stephen Ladochi and Michael Witu. And uh, you kind of called this book to my attention, and I noticed you wrote the preface for it. So uh, tell us a bit about uh, your involvement with this book and why you think it's important. Well, you know, uh, California often gets dissed when it comes to the weather. The generalization, mostly from Hollywood, is, is that California is just one endless summer. But in fact, we have some of the most, not only benign weather, but some of the most violent weather of any place in the world. And of course, it's a result of our extremely varied topography, orography, and our location, which is butted right up against the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, reminds me of, uh, and you mentioned this in your in your foreword, uh, of Steve Martin's take on this as the the wacky weatherman, Roland Harris. He says things like, tomorrow's forecast, sun, sun, sun. You know, it's like the take from Hollywood is always just like palm trees and sun. Uh, but California's weather is so very diverse because of the geography. It's just an amazing place. You know, Mark Reisner, uh, the great author of Cadillac Desert said that uh, it's a semi-arid climate, California, actually most of the Southwest, but with the heart of a desert, all right? But of course, when we look at it, it's more than that. You know, we have uh, basically uh, four seasons here in California, starting with punishing long-lived droughts and heat waves which are often followed by devastating wildfires up and down the state. And, and then the great winter rainstorms. And, and, and finally ending up with great floods and mudslides. And so California can be pretty wild when it comes to weather. And blizzards. Like, look at what happened to the Sierra Nevada last year. Uh, the High Sierra was just buried in snow. It was just amazing to see the whiplash from going from drought to what happened last year. What what was your take on the crazy weather of 2022-23? Well, you know, the uh, it was uh, what we call La Nina year, and really the expectations were for yet another dry winter. But uh, it foiled the forecasters, and uh, we had record snowfall. And, and that's partly... Uh, 
due to our orography. You know, the great high Sierra mountains that run down the spine of California, really from Northern California to Southern California. As those great storms come in from the Pacific, the air rises when they hit the Sierras and they can drop copious amounts of snowfall, which, you know, in the spring really sustains the agriculture industries and the urban areas of California. And so it's a, it's a big story. And last winter really came just in the nick of time, just about the time I was ready to throw in the towel uh, after, you know, we had uh, almost 23 years of drought starting in the year 2000. On average, rainfall was almost 15 to 20 percent below normal for a couple of decades. The last thing I want to ask you about uh, is I see so many headlines lately in the news uh, about, oh, this is an El Nino year. And El Nino, El Nino, El Nino. And yet, most people have no idea what El Nino is. I want to ask you, as one of the world's foremost experts, and this is kind of a tough task, Bill, can you give us your your really short elevator speech version about what El Nino is? Well, normally, the trade winds which blow from the Americas to Asia weaken, and water in the eastern tropical Pacific, just to the south of us, gets unusually warm. And it affects the jet stream patterns really all across the planet. It can often mean, you know, most of the time for a very wet winter in California, drought in Asia, and even drought in parts of Africa. So it's a global event. And after, you know, the great seasonal shift from winter to summer in both hemispheres, this is the largest event in terms of climate that the uh, global uh, community experiences every five to 10 years. And so, uh, you know, after all this drought, this is pretty welcome. Uh, sometimes she disappoints us, uh, you know, he disappoints us, El Nino, but uh, this early rainfall here is a good precursor. And so I'm looking for yet a second wet winter after all this drought for the last two decades. Well, I sure hope that that turns out to be true. And thanks for that nice, succinct uh, version of what El Nino actually is, because a lot of people think, oh, it's a storm, I think. So thanks for that explanation. No, it's a large-scale, longer-term event. And so El Ninos don't last for just one storm, but they can last over an entire season. So El Nino could be with us here up through the early spring. Well, Bill Patzert, the uh, retired meteorologist and, and oceanographer, really, from uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, always great to talk to you. And, and I thought it was very cool that you, you wrote uh, the beginning to this wonderful book, the foreword to this book, uh, Fire and Rain, California's Changing Weather and Climate. So thanks, thanks for that. And, uh, and how did, uh, before I let you go, how did, you, did you get approached by them to do this? How did you come about to do this? Well, Steve and I uh, have been working together for many years. We published many papers on California climate, rainfall temperature. And uh, this was a, a very large undertaking by Steve and Mike. And uh, 
it really updates for the first time in three or four decades all the different meteorological phenomena that we experience here in California. And it is vast. In particular, you know, I would uh, highly recommend the, the uh, chapters on fog. Steve and Mike are really fog experts. I call them the fog guys. And uh, the, the one on air quality is exceptional. And so uh, if you want to get an easy read and a really uh, tremendous overview of the various meteorological phenomena that we experience here, I highly recommend the book. Well, again, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate you joining us to talk about it. It's always a pleasure and honor to be with you. All right. Take care of yourself, big wave. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we return, we'll talk to the authors of the new book, Fire and Rain, California's Changing Weather and Climate, Stephen Ladochi and Michael Witu. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening to Blue Dot. Our guests are the authors of a unique new book, Fire and Ice, California's Changing Weather and Climate. Stephen Ladochi is a longtime faculty member of the Department of Geosciences and Environment at Cal State Los Angeles, and Michael Witu is a certified consulting meteorologist and instructor of meteorology. They join us now from Southern California. Stephen and Michael, welcome to Blue Dot. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for uh, having us. Well, I would like to know about the origin story for this book, because it was brought to my attention by my good friend, Bill Patsert, and uh, I just found this book to be really a neat read, and I'd like to know, you know what, what brought this on? What made you guys decide to, to write this? Well, I'll start. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> actually, Mike and I have done a lot of projects together, uh, particularly on California fog, but um, we're at a conference and, and we're saying that, you know, there there really isn't any book out there on California climate. You know, there's there's a lot of states that have their own climate book, but California, why doesn't it have one as well? So that got us sort of thinking about possibly doing this book. You want to add to that, Michael? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we back in uh, oh, over 20 years ago, we were both at a American Meteorological Society conference, and we, and we both were presented papers on California fog, and that's how we got to know each other. And over the years, we got involved with the uh, NASA's Earth System Science Education Project, and we provided educational modules for that organization. And so periodically, we'd go to different meetings, and at these meetings, we discussed the, the possibility of this book. And uh, a couple of years ago, we started writing it. Well, I will say after I read it, uh, in, during reading it, my initial thought was, ooh, I would have loved to take in a class based on this book, like in, in college. This would be a wonderful course, California Weather and Climate. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, uh, we didn't intend it specifically as a textbook, but uh, that's the, some professors may like to use it. It would be a good possible textbook on a course in California weather. Yeah, or a great supplementary text for like a California geography class. 
Right. Yeah. In fact, um, there is one teacher in um, San Diego City College who's going to use it for that kind of uh, course. Yeah, it's it's really an awesome overview of climate and weather in the state. And uh, one of the things that struck me looking at it, which I know because I've lived in most part or traveled to at least most parts of the state, is that we live in such a diverse state geographically and and climate-wise. Let's break it down a little bit by region by region. Let's start with Southern California, uh, where you guys are. There's a lot of diversity in Southern California. Definitely. There's uh, hundreds of microclimates. Uh, I did some forecasting for one of the TV stations, and I thought it'd be really easy, you know, sun, 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 but it isn't. You, you have to really break it down to the coasts, the valleys, the mountains, the foothills. There's so many different varieties of microclimates, you know, from, you know, to shoreline all the way up to the top of the mountains. And when you move out to Central California around San Francisco, you have the uh, the coastal fog you have, and during the during the winter time, you have the valley fog in uh, Sacramento Valley, and uh, that could be a big issue during winter time up there, uh, as far as transportation is concerned. Well, in Southern California, before we move north, is uh, is also just fascinating because. The coastal regions down there are so different from just a few miles inland. Like, for example, this summer, I I was hearing from family members who live on the coast in Southern California. While I, I was in the warm sunshine up here, they were telling me, it's just like been, we haven't seen the sun in weeks. Uh, and then you go inland, uh, you you go inland, it's very different in the, like the San Fernando Valley in that area. And then if you go even further inland into the desert, uh, very different still. The Mojave Desert is, you know, a, a climate all to itself. Yeah, and they're so close together, too. So, you know, you, you can literally go surfing and skiing on the same day or or roast in the desert and, and be with sweaters on along the coast. And there's some really interesting things that go on um, in Southern California because of the mountain ranges there. Uh, Southern California is very mountainous that you know most people that don't live in California might not realize that. But you have a very interesting mountain range there called the transverse ranges that trend from west to east instead of the north-south trending mountains like the Coast Range and the Sierra Nevada. And how I'm wondering, what kind of unique effects does, do the transverse ranges have on Southern California's weather and climate? Well, uh, I guess a, a big effect would be uh... The elevation uh, causes uh, increase in precipitation, and uh, with the higher altitudes, uh, as we saw last winter, they got quite a bit bit of snow in in, in those areas. If you recall, back in February, the end of February, and then March of uh, this year. Yeah, and and a lot of the storms kind of break up either north or south of that transverse. You know, it, we we can get you know beautiful sunny warm weather on the south side, and, and they they be socked in. You know, it's drizzly, rain, cool, um, you know, from Santa Barbara and the Central Valley all the way north. So it it, it really does create uh, almost uh, two different climate zones. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the big mountain range, the Sierra Nevada. Let's talk a bit about how that impacts California climate. Well, the Sierra go up to four, over 14,000 feet. And uh, 
their big impact is that you have a, a good uplift. When, when storms come in from the ocean, you get a tremendous uplift and, and precipitation increases on the uh, windward side of the Sierra. On the other hand, when you get it to the uh, lee side of the Sierra in places like Bishop, the air is descending and warming and precipitation patterns are, are very, very uh, light. So you have a tremendous amount of rain and snow on the windward side and very little precipitation on the uh, on the lee side of uh, these mountains. Yeah, and the Owens Valley, where Bishop is, where you mentioned, um, that's essentially arid country, very dry, and yet has so much water in it because of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, you know, and all the snow pack up there. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, we, we benefit from that, of course, with the Los Angeles aqueduct stealing their water. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother can of worms we could open up there for sure. Um, you know, there's something interesting that I, I've always wondered about. It's called the Sierra Wave. And I'm wondering, can either of you explain what the Sierra Wave is? Yeah, it, it's a kind of a mountain wave phenomena. Uh, again, like Mike said, you know, the, the stairs is this huge granite barrier to winds and, and precipitation. And as the air flows over that barrier, uh, it creates a kind of a wave. So it, it, it lifts the air first, and then on the lee side, it kind of starts to descend. But you also get some kind of a rotor effect. That is that some of the air that's sinking also kind of backs up and sort of goes against the mountains in a kind of a rotor fashion. And this can be very treacherous for aviators, particularly light, you know, these light planes. And there, there have been some pretty bad accidents because of that. But uh, the clouds, wow, you get some tremendous lenticular clouds, those saucer-shaped clouds, uh, just uh, downwind of the mountains. Those are the coolest clouds. Um, why, why do they form? Because I see them around Mount Shasta up here and in the High Sierra down by Bishop. Uh, they're, they're really cool-looking clouds. What, what causes lenticular clouds? Well, basically, you have stable conditions at the top of the mountain, and that prevents the continued rise of the clouds, so they end up with those flat tops. And then you have the descending air on the lee side of the mountains. Uh, anything to add to that, Steve? Yeah, it sort of just sets up a, a series of these uh, rising and falling airflows. And so you can get uh, these really interesting patterns of uh, one or, or several sort of saucer-shaped uh, condensation levels. And um, I, I've seen some where, you know, you have uh, three or four on top of each other. So it, it's, it's a very complex kind of a turbulent flow. Yeah, they're so beautiful. Okay, let's mm. uh, let's move um, off of the Sierra into the Central Valley, which is one of the main geographic provinces of the state. And you mentioned fog, um, the Valley fog or the Thule fog. It, can you explain to us how how does that fog form and how is that different from the kind of fog you find along the coast? Well, ba basically, it's what's called the radiation fog, as the uh, Earth cools at night, the air temperature reaches the dew point, and if it goes down any further, fog will, fog will form. Now, if you have no winds, you just get dew. If you have strong winds, 
the cool air will mix up the higher altitudes. But if the winds are just right in the order of maybe two to two to five miles per hour, you'll get this fog to form. Now in the wintertime, when we have these stable conditions, if nothing comes in to disturb the fog, night after night it will get thicker and thicker. And uh the cooling will occur off the top of the fog deck. And after a few days, the fog essentially does not burn off in the afternoon like it would do in the first days of it. And you need moisture in the ground um, from like previous rain to, to, to form that fog, don't you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. But, but, you know, there is a lot of moisture, not just from rainfall, but also the irrigation. In fact, you know, they had uh, some like six or seven feet of artificial rain in the Central Valley. And so it it it, it makes uh, the crops, of course, grow really well, but it also adds a lot of moisture that, that can help those tule fogs uh, come about throughout the winter. It's interesting that I've noticed here in the North Valley, where I live, the Northern Sacramento Valley, unlike down there in the San Joaquin Valley, I have noticed a dramatic diminishing of the number of foggy days in winter. Any thoughts on why that's going on? Yeah, there's a couple of papers on that. Um, uh, one has to do with uh, just the fact that there's a lot of little towns and, and cities that are, are growing real fast. And they create what's called a, a urban heat island or a warm spot. And that can dissipate the fogs around the, those settlements or those cities. So you get these little donuts around the Central Valley where, you know, Chico, Sacramento, uh, Fresno uh, have a lot less fog than surrounding. And of course, as the cities grow, you get less fog. So there, there is this sort of decrease in fog due to the urban heat island. But the other thing that's happening as well is the uh, air quality. And so Mike and I were looking at the relationship with uh, air pollution in the Central Valley and in Southern California. And as the air gets cleaner, there's less condensation particles for the fog to form on. So again, there's less fog as the air gets cleaner. As a matter of fact, uh, we know for the Los Angeles area, I'm not sure what the number is for the valley, but uh, small particulate matter is has decreased by 90% over the last uh, 40 years or so. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Because when I think about when I was growing up in Southern California in the 60s, the air quality was very poor and there was a lot more fog. So that that's interesting. Uh, and I, I think the same thing probably is going on up here with people, you know, less wood smoke and that kind of thing, uh, less burning of the rice fields, the air quality is a little better. That, that's a fascinating thing. I had never never connected those. Of course, now we have fires and that, that's adding a lot of particulates to the air as well. So one last thing on that back in the uh, oh, in the 50s and 60s, there would be a over 400 hours a year of uh, visibilities less than a quarter of a mile at uh, Los Angeles airport. And in recent years, we've had some years where we've had no hours with visibility below a quarter of a mile. And most years are down around 10 hours or so. Well, let's, uh, let's shift to the Bay Area. And Mark Twain famously said that the, the coldest winter he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. 
why is that true? Because it really does seem to be true from my experience. Well, let me, I'll, I'll start on that, Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. we, have, <laughs> we have a cold upwelling current offshore with a big high-pressure area in the summertime. And in the valley, we have a low-pressure area. And as this cold air comes down along the coast, the surface air moves west and colder air comes from below, cold upwelling. So the surface temperatures right off around San Francisco can be as low as about 52 degrees Fahrenheit in July. Meanwhile, in the Sacramento Valley, you're getting temperatures maybe above 100 degrees. So you have what's called a strong pressure gradient from the high pressure offshore to the low pressure in the valley. And we have a gap in the coastal range right there in the Bay Area through the Golden Gate, which causes a strong uh, wind flow through the Golden Gate. And, and the, the fog forms along the coast. And in the afternoons, the wind will frequently pick up through that area. Yes, the famous Delta Breeze, the, the air conditioning system for Sacramento. Makes Sacramento cooler than where you are in Chico to a certain extent. Yeah, well, I'm in Red Bluff, and uh, okay. <laughs> I can I can remember as a kid uh, before I'd lived here, uh, looking at temperatures across the state, and it was like you know Death Valley and Red Bluff, the hottest places in California, and I thought, well, I'd never <laughs> want to live there, and uh, and yet I do, and it's interesting the the heat, and uh, let's talk a little bit about temperatures in California because there is such an extreme. Uh, amount of variation in temperature across the state. So like, you know, we have one of the hottest places in the world is Death Valley. And yet, you know, an hour's drive away, you can be in the Sierra Nevada and be in very cool temperatures. The the northern Sacramento Valley, very hot in summer. Uh, and yet, you know, you can drive to the coast and, you know, a few hours later, you're putting on a sweatshirt because you're freezing. It's just, it's astounding. Can you talk a bit about the the variation of temperatures in this state compared to like other parts of the United States? Uh, sure. Um, a lot of days, um, the highest and the lowest temperature in the U.S. are in California, particularly in the summertime. So a place called Bodie, California, mm-hmm. up, up around oh, Mono County, almost 8,000 feet. Yeah is the coldest spot sometimes, uh, while, of course, Death Valley is the warmest. And so, yeah, even compared to Arizona and other parts of the states, where we get the most extreme temperatures. If you look at the, even within the Bay Area, there's there's big differences in temperature. During the summertime, you may see temperatures well into the 80s in Marin County and down in San Jose. When you go to San Francisco, the temperatures may still be in the 50s over very short distances and and, uh, very little changes in elevation. And I don't think you see that anywhere else in the U.S. Yeah, it's astounding. Yeah, we did what's called a temperature of uh, Los Angeles once with uh, Bill Patsert. And we went from Santa Monica up into the mountains. And it changed from 60 to over 100 degrees on that particular day. It's quite, quite remarkable. Yeah, I can believe it because, you know, like the Bay Area, Southern California, the L.A. Basin, you've, you know, you've got such a variation in geography from, you know, those kind of arid desert areas not very far away from downtown L.A. to to the beaches, which are very cool. One of the things that I am always fascinated by is in the summertime, it can be very hot in the Sacramento Valley as anybody that lives here will tell you. There's kind of like two different kinds of heat that I've noticed. There's there's the normal hot, 
you know, that's usually because there's high pressure off the coast. And then there's the one where there's a kind of high pressure system in the four corners area that kind of backs into our part of the, the world. And that can be brutal. Could you talk a bit, a bit about those differences in, when the heat can become really excessive? Yeah, well, the, what you're talking about is uh, sort of the um, monsoon flow that we get sort of in the late summer, early fall. And uh, when the high pressure does sort of form over the Four Corners area, you get this kind of a southeasterly flow. And uh, often it's bringing some moisture in from the Gulf of California or, or the Gulf of Mexico all the way up into California and, and the Central Valley. So when you have a heat wave and the moisture, it just is brutal. It feels so much hotter than typically on a on a hot, dry day. Oh, certainly. And uh, I've noticed that just uh, in the way we cool ourselves in the, the northern part of California. When I first moved up here, especially in the valley, people would use evaporative coolers, swamp coolers, they call them, um, that basically rely on water evaporating to cool the air. And they're much less expensive than you know, air conditioning. Uh, and now you rarely find people using that to cool their homes because they're just not as effective because it seems like we're getting more of those hot, humid days. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, that seems to be the trend. Oh, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say you need, you need very low dew points uh, for the swamp coolers to work. Uh, if you have dew points in the 60s, the, the, the swamp coolers will be very, very inefficient. And that's probably what's happening now. If you're just joining us, we're looking into California's complex climate and weather patterns with Stephen Ladochi and Michael Witu, authors of the new book, Fire and Ice, California's Changing Weather and Climate. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. I'm Dave Schloom, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening. Let's return now to our conversation with climate and meteorology experts Stephen Ladochi and Michael Witu as we talk about California's diverse climate and weather patterns. Well, another interesting part of California weather is the wind, and uh, and it can be really scary when it's when it's fire weather. And I remember as a kid hearing about the Santa Ana wind. Uh, and that always triggered, you know, the, the worries about fires in Southern California. And we have the same kinds, you know, not exactly the same, but very dry, high wind events, especially in the fall in Northern California that led, for example, to the Camp Fire, one of the most destructive fires in California history uh, in 2018 on November 8th, which we just celebrated, well, marked the the fifth anniversary of because that was just horrible um i'm wondering if you could maybe talk about those types of winds what what causes those fire winds go ahead mike <laughs> uh, well a, a lot of them is, is caused by the fire itself <clears throat> once the fire gets going uh you you, you have a a big contrast in in pressures and the uh the winds will start uh 
Is there anything else you could add to that, Steve? Yeah, it's, it's again like the Santa Ana's in Southern California. You have a high pressure over the Great Basin and lower pressure off the coast. And that just sort of brings air through the canyons, kind of compression. And uh, it, it speeds up very quickly as it goes downhill towards the coast. So you can get winds over 100 miles an hour. And if you have any type of fire, it, it's really just hard to control. So the campfire was one of those cases where they really didn't have much chance to get out of there. It was, uh, it was such a fast moving um, flames. Yeah, and that, that wind was howling um, before that fire started. And I, re I remember that night uh, living where I am, not far from paradise, but uh, thinking to myself, it's like, oh my, it is getting really windy tonight and I, I hope no fires start. And sure enough, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> what exactly are the Santa Ana winds though? Like, cause they're, they're famous. Tell us about them. It's similar to your Diablo fires up north. It's again, if the, um, during the fall and winter, there tends to be higher pressure over the uh, interior, usually the Great Basin area. And it, this is actually cool air over the Great Basin. And as the cool air produces a sort of a high pressure area, it flows towards the coast, which is a relatively lower pressure area. And then as it flows through the, again, the canyons and the, the passes, it speeds up, it's kind of a Bernoulli effect. And uh, these can have uh, tremendous effects on fires and, and also just, to, you know, these uh, trucks trying to get up the, up the inclines. They're oh, sometimes yeah. blown right off the road. Yeah, and the, and the Santa Ana winds end up with uh, low, low humidities. Uh, what they get down to, around 10% or lower, Steve, with the oh, Santa yeah. Ana wind? Last week, it was down to 7%. Oh, my. Yeah, that's that's worrisome when you see the humidity levels drop like that. That's that's desiccating. <clears throat> okay, let's talk a bit about um, w something that's been in the news a lot, and something that definitely is you address in your book quite well, and people don't understand, and that is the El Nino Southern Oscillation, El Nino. And the effect that the ocean has on our climate here, because it has a profound effect. Uh, the Pacific Ocean's the driver of our, our climate and weather here. Um, so many people seem to think that El Nino is a weather pattern, but it's that's not really accurate. Could you explain what El Nino is? You want me to start, Steve? <laughs> yeah, he, he, you did the chapter. <laughs> okay. During an El, during an El Nino. Uh, Basically, the, the water temperatures, the pressure gradient between the Eastern Pacific and the Western Pacific weaken. Normally, you have high pressure in the East, lower pressure in the West, and that helps the upwelling along the California coast. And it also enhances the trade winds from East to West. And during an El Nino, the water temperatures warm up and that pressure gradient decreases. Uh, the end result in California usually, but not always, is uh, more rain than normal. And uh, they, they had significant El Ninos in, I think it was 77 and, uh, well, no, 82 and 83, and then 1997 mm -hmm. and 98, where uh, Southern California got, oh, places got two to three times their normal rainfall. 
But then a, a surprising one was just recently, I think it was 2015 and 16, where everyone was expected the the drought that was going on to be broken and uh, the Aldinho did not perform as expected. Yeah. yeah, and of course, go ahead. And then just the opposite of that is the La Nina, where typically we, we get dry weather in all of California. And well, what happened is the third year of uh, La Nina, we had one of the dr wettest years on record. That was the uh, 22, 23 winter. So they they don't all follow the same script. It's it's there's quite a bit of other factors that that need to be in, addressed as well. Well, and that's that's an interesting point. And as our friend Bill Patzard likes to call La Nina the the diva of drought, uh, because I, when I was thinking about this last year, it was like, hmm, this is interesting because we're transitioning from La Nina and into an, a more of a neutral period and then maybe into El Nino. And I was, was wondering if maybe, you know, that was what, what triggered so much rainfall and snowfall last year, because that was epic. Definitely. And, and it was very unexpected. I, I think everybody was sort of caught off guard. You know, the, the long range forecast was, again, you know, La Nina dry for California. Mm -hmm. And here we are with record snowfall and and tremendous amounts of uh, flooding but uh, we, we had to include something else which was the atmospheric rivers mm -hmm. i was just going to ask that so let's go there um because it really was that series of atmospheric rivers that caused that intense winter in california w what exactly are atmospheric rivers well atmospheric rivers is not really a real river, but it's it's a, a sort of a tongue of moisture that that is in the lower parts of the troposphere, or the lower parts of the atmosphere, and it, it, occasionally it gets funnels in a very narrow band from the tropics into the west coast of of North America. When it comes into California, it typically causes uh, quite a bit of precipitation particularly when it's lifted by the coastal and the Sierras. So we had a, something like uh, a couple dozen atmospheric rivers hit California in the last winter. And um, that changed our, our weather pattern considerably. Yeah, and a considerable amount of uh, California's precipitation is associated with atmospheric rivers. I think it's over 70%. Yes. It's fascinating that just, you know, a few atmospheric rivers can just change the whole tone of a winter. Definitely. We had a case in 2010 where, again, it was La Nina, but uh, it was a very dry year. And then suddenly we get this very strong atmospheric river going through the San Diego area. And it dumped about 20 inches of rain. And it changed that rain period into normal so instead of dry just got normal yeah it's just amazing how we went from severe drought in california to you know the drought monitor showing us out of drought but you know as you know um it'll it will only take a dry winter or two and then we'll be right back smack dab in the middle of drought so let's talk a bit about the history of california climate because it really is kind of a boom and bust cycle isn't it it yeah. is 
Oh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We've we've had uh, lots of uh, drought. What was it? Period from 2012 through uh, uh, 2016. Then we had a brief period of no drought through 2018, and then drought came back in 2019 and didn't end until last year's uh, La Nina event. Yeah, it's if you want to be a betting person, I think Pastor always talks about this. You go with drought because most years it's drier than normal and it's kind of balanced out by just a very few years where it's very wet but that's california it's it's has the highest variability of of any of the uh, 48 states that's amazing um and then of course there's a, a part of the state uh, that's v very, very different. It's like you could pick any part of the state and say that, really. Mm -hmm. But uh, the North Coast up around Humboldt County, that's a very different kind of climate up there. Do, can you talk a bit about why that is, is like it is? Because, uh, you know, that, there's a reason the Redwoods are up there. You know, it, we put a border between Oregon and, and California, but, but really the, the Northwest includes that section of California. It's, it's definitely... Uh, a maritime cool climate and it's it's definitely affected by the again the the ocean currents and a lot of storms that come off the pacific uh it starts to decrease as you go farther south so um uh, we we included in our book you know the fact that northern california often goes the same direction as Oregon and Washington in terms of precipitation. During a wet year, uh, it tends to follow uh, sort of the La Nina effect. It's, it's more wet in the northwest, dry in the southwest. And then El Nino is just kind of the opposite. Um, we get more rainstorms in the south, and it starts to go back to normal and drier as you go farther uh, north. So some years, <laughs> uh, it, it resembles Oregon and Washington. So it's it looks very similar. Well, yeah, during the summer, you have uh, fog, keeps things moist along the coast. And during the winter, as you go inland, the precipitation increases with increasing elevation. And uh, even right along the coast, over 40 inches of rainfall a year there. So uh, as you go inland, rainfall amounts uh, increase significantly. Yeah, nice redwoods. Yeah. And it's interesting, that, like kind of once you hit the Mendocino coast, you do sense that transition to you're getting into a more Pacific Northwest kind of climate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, when we talked about the El Ninos and La Ninos, there's a kind of a, a boundary between the north and the south, they kind of um, are opposite, or it's, I don't know which, there's a word for that, but uh, when one is wetter, the other is drier. And the boundary between that two areas kind of fluctuates so that sometimes it's it includes Northern California with the south, and sometimes it includes it with the north and the northwest. Yeah, like back to last year's intense uh, rainfall and snowfall in the in the High Sierra. Uh, yet, in the Pacific Northwest part of California, 
um, Humboldt County in that area, it, it didn't get as much precipitation in the northwestern corner of the state. And kind of the same thing up into Oregon and Washington. It was you know a little bit on the dry side. So it's kind of last year really seemed very anomalous to me. Um, do we have any records going back where we see a year anything like last year? Uh, <laughs> mm, well, it, it does happen. I mean, it's, it's not one of a a kind it, it has happened before and that's again california's variability we we do get some of these very wet years um that extend throughout california and sometimes just in the southern or the central parts of california um it's it's uh difficult for the forecasters to determine you know where that boundary is going to be like uh, last year's La Nina was almost similar to an El Nino. Typically in an El Nino, it transitions from above normal precipitation in Southern California to below somewhere up north of the Bay Area. And uh, last year it did that very same thing, except that we were in a La Nina, which was uh, very interesting. Yeah. And then um, further complicating our, our climate is uh, there's another oceanic influence at work called the Pacific Decadal Oscillation. Could you tell us what that is? I, I could start on that, Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. the Pacific Decadal Oscillation is a much, uh, it's more of a mid-latitude phenomenon compared to El Nino, which is a, is more of a tropical phenomenon where its source is. And, uh, and it's very low amplitude, where in a El Nino temperatures may deviate from the long-term average by nine degrees Fahrenheit. During the PDO, one and a half degrees Fahrenheit is a big difference. Uh, in the past, up until about 1997, uh, it used to go from a cool phase to a warm phase, lasted almost 30 years sometimes. And uh, with a cooler phase, we tend to get cooler temperatures in, in California and uh, more rainfall. Usually, I think what Patrick Passer was talking about is is that there's often a kind of a, a very strong El Nino that kind of breaks the pattern. And um, 2015 seemed like that was going to be the pattern that stops the cool phase of La Nina's and changes it to a, sort of a wet, warm phase with more El Nino's. But it didn't happen. So uh, maybe it's still a little bit early. Typically, in a cool phase of the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, you have stronger La Ninos and weaker El Ninos. And during a warm phase of the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, you have stronger El Ninos and weaker La Ninos. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot more um, El Ninos and, uh, and less La Ninos during the warm phase. So... Uh, it, it shows up in a pattern that goes back literally hundreds of years. There's there's some paleoclimate evidence that it, it may even go back a couple thousand years. Yeah. And um, lest we leave any part of the state out, uh, there's also northeastern California, mm-hmm. the Modoc Plateau. And that's very unique all to itself. Yeah, we, we found a couple interesting things. Uh, we we really sh- should give more credit to all areas of California. But that area, which is fairly rural, is more like the, the basin, the Great Basin. And so it has 
kind of the characteristics of Nevada and Utah um, with a much larger seasonal variations. But it's also fairly dry. So it's kind of like a high plateau. But the other thing we noticed is, while most of the state is warming fairly rapidly, uh, that section is not. In fact, from 1950 to 2000, it, it was cooling slightly. So it's an interesting area. Are there any thoughts on why that is? Um, I'd have to look at the stations that they used in the study, but um, they, some of the other studies show that the uh, areas where there's a lot of cities seems to warm much faster than the rural areas where it's barely changing at all. So even with global warming, those areas seem to have changed very little over decades. And, and the distance from the ocean may have something to do with it also. And, and uh, global warming has not been consistent. For example, we've had much more warming along the west coast of the U.S. than we've had in the east coast of the U.S. Uh, temperatures on, on the east coast of the U.S. have not gone up nearly as, as much as uh, temperatures on the west coast. So there's a lot of variation in that global climate change, and that could be part of it also. And then uh, finally, uh, forecasting weather in California has got to be particularly interesting and challenging compared to some other parts of, of the United States. Do you notice that forecasting weather here can be, you know, difficult? <laughs> that That's how we started the book. We have a quote from one of the weather forecasters saying that Southern California is the most difficult place to forecast in the entire U.S. And, and that has a lot to do with those microclimates again. Another thing is we have no weather stations upstream from us. You have to go to Hawaii before there are other uh, actual weather stations. Of course, we have satellite imagery. But if you're on the east coast of the U.S., you have 3,000 miles of weather stations of the, that can detect the weather systems moving from west to east. We don't have that. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, it's been fascinating to talk to you about California weather and climate. I love this book, Fire and Rain, California's Changing Weather and Climate. It's a great way to understand California weather. So thanks for writing it. And thanks for joining us, Stephen and Michael. And thank you for inviting us, uh, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks again to our guests, retired NASA JPL oceanographer and California climate expert Bill Patzer, and Stephen Ladochi and Michael Witu. You can get Stephen and Michael's new book, Fire and Ice, California's Changing Weather and Climate, at most major booksellers or order it from your local bookseller. Blue Dot is a production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio in beautiful and talented Northern California. We're distributed by PRX. If you want to revisit, share, or check out past episodes, you can do just that on our website, mynspr.org. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode on our website, the NPR One app, or wherever you get your podcast groove on. Our theme music, Big Wave Dave, is by Matt Schiltz. Blue Dot is engineered and produced by the maestro, Matt Fiddler. For all of us here, I remind you there that from deep space, we all live on a pale blue dot. Blue Dot.